This afternoon, we're up to Lord's Day 41, I was informed. Um, question and answers 108, 109. If you have your book of praise, it's found on page 556. And so I'm going to read that. And remember, this is our Christian confession. Lord's Day 41, question and answer 108. What does the seventh commandment teach us? And that uh, the command, seventh commandment, of course, is you shall not commit adultery. Our answer, that all unchastity is cursed by God. We must, therefore, detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives, both within and outside of holy marriage. Question 109, does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Our answer, since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it was a testimony to the times in which we live. I was uh, watching uh, television the other night and um, waiting for the news to come on and, and uh, the, was watching this show wrap up, one of those late night talk shows. And uh, they had, the, the host had as his guest a couple that had been on one of those, uh, the bachelor type shows. And um, after questioning them for a time, he uh, was able to pull from them that after knowing each other for 14 months, they still had not consummated their relationship. And, and, and by the way, I'm going to be very careful with how I say things this afternoon. I understand there are a lot of little ears uh, in, in with us as well, too. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the host, of course, teased them. He even uh, threatened to have them take a lie detector test uh, because he, had, uh, he found this so uh, fantastic and almost impossible to believe. And it was a reminder, again, a stark reminder of, of how casual the world looks at uh, what we look at this afternoon, what God clearly forbids in his word, ad adultery. And it, it's a reminder of why we continue to, to, to need to be cautioned about these things uh, because of the times in which we live and, and the, the casual way uh, society looks at these things. And, and, and uh, the world has, has uh, changed to the point where the one who wants to remain chaste, the one who wants to say, uh, I I'm going to uh, uh, preserve uh, myself for marriage and wait or whatever, they're seen as the weirdos. Um, the ones who are promiscuous, they're the, the ones that are seen as uh, the ones who are in tune and in touch with the world. We live in the day, of course, of, of the hookup culture, where people have intimate relations with basically strangers for fun. We live in a day where it has come to light in horrifying detail, uh, the, the, the size and the extent of things like human, human trafficking and child slavery and child exploitation and, and pedophilia, which they say is the next push that is uh, going to be made by the world. We live in a day of uh, RU486 uh, or the morning after pill and the day of easy contraception so that couples can fornicate and fly under the radar, uh, eluding the eyes of all, except of course God's. We live in the day of abortion on demand. 
We live in a day when medical science, with all their efforts that they seem to put, they can't find us a, a cure for cancer and MS, but they've invented Viagra. But this afternoon, we're reminded that in contrast to the casual way that the world views this, uh, we as God's children are not to think that way, we are not to live this way. We have been redeemed, we're reminded in our uh, scripture reading, we have been redeemed, we have been bought, we have been ransomed by nothing less than the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. And so we are not of the world, and we have to keep reminding ourselves this. Every time we're tempted to, 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 to get casual or to uh, allow ourselves to indulge in some sin or the other, we have to remind ourselves we are not of the world. Our, our bodies are not for, for immorality, but we are to use them for the Lord's glory. They are members of, of Christ, and so we must live for His joy and pleasure and glory and not our own. Uh, our attitude to things like sexual relations must continue to be God's attitude. And God clearly in His Word tells us, we hear in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And this covers uh, sexual sin, both inside and outside of marriage, as we'll see. And so our theme, as we summarize what we learn here in Lord's Day 41, is this. Christ calls us His redeemed, we might even say his, his washed, his purified. Uh, Christ called us his, calls us his redeemed to sexual purity. And we'll see in the first place the obvious implications of that command, and in the second place the subtle implications. But as Christ calls us his redeemed to sexual purity, we see in the first place the obvious implications. And what we mean is, what, is that what this commandment implies is obvious. We are not to have intercourse outside of marriage. We heard that in question in, in uh, answer uh, 108. All um, chastity is cursed by God. We must therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriages. And, and so positively what we're confessing here is that God really, uh, behind this command, God is commanding us to honor marriage to hold marriage in the highest of esteem. We're to avoid then anything that would defile, stain, or endanger marriage as he has ordained it. But you say, well, how is it that we need this command? Well, marriage and sexual relations find their origin at the very beginning, of course, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, we learn that God, observing that it was not good for the man to be alone, he created a suitable partner for him. Out of one of Adam's ribs, God formed a woman and he brought her to the man. I call this the first wedding ceremony, the first giving away of the bride in history. And God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He gave them the command to be fruitful and he also gave them the means to be fruitful, the gift of intimate relations. And he gave them this wonderful gift to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. And, and Genesis 2 ends up with this description and what we might call the celebration of marriage. Genesis 2 verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So far so good until sin 
entered into the system of man. The fall happened, and immediately distrust of God and self-will came into play. Things changed drastically with the fall. The virus of sin infected marriage, and marriage, with, and with it, sexual relations, became contaminated. And that's why, very soon after, we read that the sons of God, and this is speaking of the elect, began to lust after the daughters of men, that is, the daughters of the world, the seed of, of the serpent. That's why soon after we read of a man named Lamech, who had two wives, and so polygamy uh, set in. And all through the Old Testament, we read of a culture in which it became normal for a man to have multiple wives. In the Old Testament, we begin to read of incest and sodomy and prostitution and rape and adultery. And so they shall become one flesh is replaced by lust and all kinds of perversion and impurity. Nevertheless, in spite of man's fallen nature, it has to be very clear to us as God's people that God has never, ever permitted man to indulge your, uh, his corrupted urges. Why? Because God is holy. He announced the seventh commandment to Israel at Mount Sinai, reminding them that they were not to be like the pagan nations among whom they would live because they were his people. And he calls us to be holy. They were to honor instead the wife of their youth. They were to be faithful to their spouses. They were not to engage in the vile and unchaste acts of the nations. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and he again calls his church to the, to the original context of marriage. And we hear this, for example, in Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6. Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And we, we heard this again in 1 Corinthians 6.16. And so uh, in spite of the corruption of marriage, the corruption of man's nature, the corruption of sexual relations, God's plan and purpose for us remains unchanged. God's holy standard is not to be interpreted as it is today according to culture or politics or simply the wants and desires of men and women. Sexual relations remain in the sight of God something uh, according to the command of God, something to be enjoyed only between one man and one woman in the context of Christian marriage. The world, of course, sends a different message uh, that uh, promiscuity is just a matter of uh, indulging in your normal, natural urges, they say. Uh, they, they, the message they send is that you, one should not be afraid or ashamed to express your desires. We hear people say things like, well, everybody does it, just don't get caught. Uh, you hear uh, things like, well, people are born with uh, attractions to, to other people of the same gender. Uh, and so, you know, you people just, uh, you better accept it regardless of what the Bible says. Sadly, even fellow Christians can set bad examples for each other. And we allow the hormones to drown out the voice of God, and we invite lust 
into our hearts by indulging our eyes with stimulating television and movies. We dress provocatively, displaying an, an, an indecent amount of flesh sometimes. But as much as adultery is so accessible, even though with a lot of scheming and conniving and lying, we might even be able to get away with it for a time. We should always remember that our holy God forbids us from acts of unchastity and to uphold the sanctity of marriage which he has ordained. Our catechism, quoting 1 Corinthians 6 and other scripture passages, reminds us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He makes our hearts his home. And so while the world might indulge in premarital sex and adultery, uh, the un unconverted may contaminate themselves with unchaste images and acts, not so for us. We are to live, to quote the Catechism, disciplined and chaste lives, both within and outside of holy marriage. In other words, the marriage bed, present or future, present or future, is to be kept pure. And this is true for every one of us, because God has ordained a marriage partner for every one of us, and so indulging our sinful inclinations with someone who is not our wife or our husband is actually, it comes down to sinning against the person whom God has created and prepared for us. Moreover, we violate and disrespect the image of God in, in that other person and ourselves. Adultery desecrates the image of God's relationship between him and his people as well. See, God has given us a picture, and this is something we have to remember about marriages, and, and, and remember this when we take our marriages for granted, but God has given us a picture in marriage, an image of his relationship between us and his church, or between him and, and his church. Marriage between one man and one woman. And by this, his, his covenant with his church is imaged before the eyes of of the world, but illicit relations mar that picture. Adultery would then be like spray painting graffiti on a beautiful painting. Marriage is even meant to illustrate something to us of, of God's character, that he is eternally faithful and loving to his people. He is the faithful husband who has taken us to be his bride. The physical union shared between a husband and wife mirrors the spiritual union between God and his church. It's all these beautiful images in the Bible. Listen as well to Ephesians 5, uh, verses 31 to 33. Ephesians 5, verses 31 to 33, uh, Paul writes, Therefore a man shall leave his, you hear that language again, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And Paul again takes us back to the very institution of marriage in Genesis 2. And he clarifies this for us, that marriage, in a very mysterious way, pictures the relationship between Christ and his church. God holds up 
the covenant of marriage before our eyes and the eyes of the world as an illustration of his relationship to us. But when we as God's people indulge in illicit relationships, we have to remember that we are defacing God's beautiful picture. And so when we ask what are the obvious implications then, uh, of uh, this command, we see that adultery uh, inside or outside of marriage is an atrocious, wicked sin in the sight of God. But as Christ calls us, his redeemed, to sexual purity, we see in the second place the subtle implications. We mean by this that we can break this commandment in ways that are less obvious. We may think that we have kept this commandment because we simply have not physically had relations with someone who is married, or if we're married, or both of us are married, but that is not where the command ends, as uh, answer 109 reminds us. Uh, we were told here, since we, and this is again, remember, this is summarizing scripture, scriptural teaching for us, since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. And the Catechism reminds us that the seventh commandment covers a lot more ground than just merely uh, physical relations by one or two married people. It, it covers not only actions or deeds, but it includes gestures, words, thoughts, even desires. Perhaps the classic passage that we would think of in this case would be Matthew 5, the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, uh, verses 27 to 28, when he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown to he into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And Jesus is expanding here on the understanding of the seventh commandment. And he does not confine it to the actual deed, but even the look, the desire, the intention of the heart. And, the, and so the seventh commandment not only forbids uh, shameful acts like uh, adultery, but as the catechism reminds us, uh, the, the, the heart which invites sin in, everything which incites or entices unchastity is forbidden. We have to be in our guard against these things. And it includes gestures, words, thoughts, desires. And to entice, of course, means to stir up, to provoke certain feelings, to encourage or to stimulate, uh, fan the flames, as we would say. We are to avoid anything that would start us down that road uh, to lust that could very well end up in uh, physical adultery, but if not, uh, of the mind. We have to avoid these things. Uh, 
and, and, these, and, and even the, the, the thoughts and the desires are uh, what we're calling subtle forms of adultery. The classic example, of course, uh, that we would hold up um, as a warning to us would be King David. We remember the story of King David uh, walking around his palace uh, one evening, spying a beautiful young lady bathing, and uh, did he bounce the eyes? No, he did not. He kept on looking, and he had continued to admire, and that adm admiration turns to lust. And then he sent and he inquired about her, but by the time that, she, uh, that he found out that she was a married woman and married to one of his best loyal soldiers, in fact, he was too far gone. He incited or enticed himself to unchastity. He had to have her at that point. Had he plucked out the eye and cut off the hand that caused him to sin, well, we know the rest of the story. His house would have been saved from a lot of bloodshed. And this is a warning to us to guard ourselves from placing ourselves in positions or in places where lust can be stirred up. For instance, if we know that a certain someone is usually at a certain place at a certain time, then we're not to be there. We're to avoid such a place. This calls us to choose wisely where we go. It is a bar where... Uh, the women are, are loose and the drinks are flowing freely. Really a place for Christian men to be? Absolutely not. When we consider the kind of dancing that goes on in, in public places today and, and the provocative song lyrics, are, are, are dance clubs and places of that nature places for young Christian women to be? Absolutely not. We may include in this what we uh, do in our dating relationships as well. Are we taking unnecessary chances and, and being very risky by being alone with someone of the opposite sex, even if it's our fiancé? Isn't that uh, you know, parked alone in the dark somewhere where there's nobody away, uh, around and away from everybody's eyes? Isn't that heaping burning coals on your lap so that your clothes will certainly get burnt or in this case come off? What kinds of movies do we go to? Are we discerning? Have we learned yet that PG-14, even PG-13 movies are loaded with adult content, with lewdness and language and violence that God's children have no business viewing and taking in to our senses? We have to include uh, gawking at members of the opposite sex as we drive, looking at pornographic material in any form or any kind of, of look and we're talking here about the look that, that lingers and increases the heart rate. This has, has become, of course, quite challenging in our day, and, and so our sisters in Christ especially have to consider how they dress as well. The miniskirts and the belly shirts and the short shorts, uh-uh. Even ripped jeans, I warn people about. They're not sanctifying to your brothers in Christ. Clothes these days, of course, are, are meant to accentuate or give the appearance of assets that we may or may not have. Uh, and so we have to be guarding all of us against uh, the men guarding their eyes, the women guarding how they carry themselves about, how they dress, because we don't want to entice unchastity. It's against God's will. There's also, of course, 
easy access to images upon which we can feed our eyes. If you look at television at all, and it's becoming harder and harder to do that as Christians, but you noticed, of course, that every commercial almost on television is, is made to push the fences, and they don't have a, a couple, regular man and woman couples anymore. It's, it's usually, nine times out of ten, a gay couple. And they're, they're made to desensitize, and if not stimulate the viewer. We even have to be cautious watching uh, uh, television with our children, uh, remote in hand usually, because the producers will find some way to sneak in provocative commercials in between. There are billboards as we drive, and ads with lewd images, and magazines and flyers that come into our house. Uh, we might even include in this the dirty jokes or conversations that we men are around, uh, usually in the, in the on construction sites, but in office settings as well, too, that, that uh, conversations and jokes that can send our minds in the wrong direction. We live in the age of innuendo, if you didn't realize. But congregation, again, and we could, there's so much more we could say. These are, these are just a few examples, but we are, we are reminded here again this afternoon, and, and it's a good thing, that we are not to indulge in these more subtle forms of idolatry, of, of, of adultery. Uh, listen again to verses 18 to 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Sexual immorality for the Christian, for the child of God, is a violation of the temple of the Holy Spirit. We can compare it, us indulging in sexual immorality, whether it's viewing images on our computer or phone or whatever it may be, or just staring, whatever it may be, we can view that in the same way as if someone violated the sanctity of this building, and especially the sanctuary. Think about it. Imagine what your reaction would be if you came here on a Sunday morning and the elders maybe locked the doors because that Friday or Saturday night, some neighborhood hoodlums had broken into the building and they had drank booze all over the place and sprayed the place with beer and liquor and whatever, and they had smoked dope, so the whole place smelled like marijuana, and some of them had even gone so far in their drunkenness or highness to urinate all over the sanctuary of the building. Imagine how we'd feel. I'm sure tears would flow, and we'd be, on the one hand, infuriated, and appalled, but also deeply, deeply grieved. Well, the catechism and scripture reminds us that we do the same thing to the temple of the Holy Spirit if we commit adultery, whether physically or in other subtle ways. He who is pure and sinless has come to make his home in us. He dwells in us as in a sanctuary. Our joyful confession is that God has made a dwelling for himself, not in buildings made of bricks or stone, but in our hearts. And his temple is not to be violated by unclean acts or impure thoughts. And so let us then live by the Spirit of Christ, who gives us the ability to put to death sin in our lives, 
And let us be striving to bring no corruption and defilement into His temple. Let us instead glorify God with our bodies, as the Apostle tells us, until the day when Christ will receive His bride without stain or wrinkle, holy and blameless. Amen.